Welcome in to another edition of the day after. Thanks to Johnny T-Shirt, our title sponsor. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Buck Sanders. That's Jason Staples. Carolina 40, Syracuse 7. I've watched a lot of Carolina football games over the years. I have to search my memory banks to try to find one that was as thoroughly dominating a performance by the Tar Heels as what we saw yesterday. And, you know, um, the thing that sticks out about this is that we've scored, we've seen North Carolina score 40 points plenty of times. I think that They've scored at least 40 points in like three out of their five games so far this year or whatever. But they, the offense, you know, scores points on a regular basis and has since 2012, basically, uh, except for a little drought during the 2017 and 2018. But the defense to hold Syracuse to seven points and not let Schrader run all over the top of them, that's different. That's what's different about yesterday, uh, that the offense was fantastic. That's we, we've read that story plenty of times, you know, on, on a Sunday following a UNC game that the, that the offense was fantastic and the defense was fantastic on the same game as something new to North Carolina football, um, in a, quite a while, if it's ever existed before that's new. I mean, because in the Butch Davis era, there was no offense, right? Fedora era, no no real defense. But now we're at a point where North Carolina has both, and that's a really good feeling. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of it, but you look at 644 to 221, the, the uh, total yardage. Jason, I know what's coming, but I'm going to tee it up for you. <laughs> I'm going to quote somebody that I read. We've been laughing about this off the air. (laughs) uh, I'm going to quote somebody that I saw in the Slack about 11.45 last night. It said, uh, what a day to be alive. (laughs) Yeah, I believe you're quoting me. (laughs) I believe I'm quoting Mr. Jason Staples after Miami does Miami things. (laughs) I want to get your take on that just briefly, hourglass briefly, but – and talk more about North Carolina, but just wow. What a day in ACC football. I mean, you got 33 seconds left. The other team has no timeouts. The other freaking football. Maybe not take a knee, maybe, you know. <laughs> but in fairness, in fairness, Miami doesn't have a whole lot of experience going into the into the victory formation. <laughs> So it's one of those things, you know, you kind of have to be used to that sort of thing, be able to understand how that works. And, (laughs) you know, just for all, for, for actually, for what I think, what I think actually happened is they were trying to get that running back over, over a hundred yards. I think, I think it was a stat hunt and I think they got greedy and this game 
this game will bite you if you do not play to win. If you play for stats, if you play for anything other than playing to win, this game will bite you. You have to honor the game. If you disrespect mm-hmm. the game, the game will the game will come back and 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 claim you. And Miami disrespected the game. And <laughs> they got what was coming to them. Craziest thing is that this is not the first time that's happened to to Cristobal. I know. I was going to mention that. He did 2018, it. 2018. Uh, our, our very own, uh, our very own, we're, uh, we're posting videos of that yesterday. Joey Powell was posting videos of the, uh, of the 2018 Stanford Oregon game where they could have run the clock down to 16 seconds just by kneeling. And instead, they're running, running the football hard, trying to get extra yardage and fumbled and went into overtime and lost. So I mean, this is a this is a pattern, and you know, hey, look, the, the one other person that's got to be absolutely thrilled this morning is Vip. You know, uh, he's another guy that, especially with with being down in Miami with all the, with all those Miami fans that he's dealing with day in day out, and his consistent refrain about how Cristobal is a fraud and the whole the whole thing is you know it's going to reveal it's going to reveal itself at some point. That dude, he's got it. He's gonna have a real good week. So I, I, I see you, Vip. Let's let's have some fun this week. It is a the the player on the sidelines for Miami saying, "What are we running? You know, what are we doing?" That that meme and that gift will live for eternity, um, and will be applied to every crazy, every crazy moment ever um, in college football from now on. But Jason, let's let's talk about this Carolina game, North Carolina. Um, we had some concerns about the defense. Was the defense going to be stand up against Garrett Schrader? And and Schrader's been good. Schrader did not look good. He had some help. But North Carolina's defense was just fantastic. Let's start there because the easy take is the offense. Let's talk about the defense, Jason. Just overall what you saw and then let's sort of break it down piece by piece. Well, one thing is that they – they made him uncomfortable all game. The defensive line and also some backers and, and, and all that when they decided to to bring him. And they brought him a little bit more in the early going. First quarter, they they blitzed 25% of the time, which is a little bit more than normal. Normally they're this year they've been about 18. So it's a couple extra blitzes in that first first quarter. But they made they they made Schrader uncomfortable all game. He he didn't have the opportunity to uh to just sit back and survey first of all and second of all the the thing that they did so well and I know there was a lot of emphasis on it this week when he didn't see what he liked right away and went to pull down and try to run they did a fantastic job of corralling and staying in their lanes and making sure that he didn't have clear rush lanes up, up, you know, up the A or B gaps, making him go sideways and then chasing and tackling. And it was, I mean, it was textbook. How many times, Buck, how many times since Butch Davis left have we been able to use that, that word textbook or clinic tape when it comes to North Carolina defense? Almost never, and the and the cool part of it is that it was a really good blend or mesh of um, 
plan, scheme, design, and execution. Uh, that's the that's the part that sometimes gets left out that you've done everything right through the week. You know what you're supposed to do, but you just can't execute it on game day. And North Carolina is tackling. They're getting people on the ground. They're staying in their lanes. Uh, so the the plan and the organization and all of that is important. But when you combine it with with proper execution, with proper fundamentals, uh, doing things the right way, then you got something. Um, that's when you got something. It looked like a well-coordinated defense. And I mean coordinated in the sense of the the front is working together with the backers and the receiver and the and the defensive backs are working together with the backers and everything is coordinated and then and that's what you what you want to see and we haven't seen a bunch of that in terms of just that kind of of team defense in a while uh and you know Syracuse is no juggernaut offensively but they were around and this is something in my article this last week we i said we're going to finally start to see how much improvement carolina's really made because carolina is going to be playing a team in syracuse that is about average offensively they played teams kind of in the bottom quartile up until now then they played an average team and they made them look below average now we're starting that's that's really good and now, now they get to now they get to go to an FCS team licking their cha- or, or uh, licking their wounds. Uh, they, they get them coming in, and you know they got a chance to to move to to be really in position to to be in the ACC title game here. You you win this next one and and advance beyond that, and you've got to, you you're you're kind of in the driver's seat at that point to uh, to make the ACC title game and playing really good football to do it. Yeah, looking at the ACC, a lot of people, um, I don't like the unbalanced schedules, but I did watch Louisville beat Notre Dame, and folks can say Notre Dame's not any good, whatever. Um, Louisville seems legit. Uh, They could be 8-0. Carolina, theoretically, we're going to do, let's get way out over our skis and disrespect the game, as Jason talked about earlier. Don't do it. Don't do it. So you could potentially have an interesting – December, first weekend in December in Charlotte. We'll leave it there that way. But on the defensive side, I was trying to count up the snap counts, and Ben has posted the snap count article. And I'm not going to sit here because it's bad radio, but North Carolina played a ton of people on defense. So a couple things that stood out, and this is something we all talked about before. Cayman Rucker had 38 snaps, which is, I think that's the sweet spot. 38, 45. He had that. Javari Ritzy only three. Cedric Gray only 47. Elijah Huzzy only 47. And I know North Carolina or no Syracuse didn't run that many plays, may only run 47 plays, but for 51, that's how many plays they had, which they is had, ridiculous. They had ridiculous. 51. And Carolina had over 100. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, just the depth of the defense. Um, the guys played well. But you got a ton of guys, some important snaps, Buck. I think that's huge, and I don't think that should go without saying because that is very important, and that's what we have talked about, build depth, build depth, build depth. Yesterday was an opportunity to sort of show some of that. Absolutely, and some of those players that they played um, even before they started clearing the benches and whatnot had some meaningful snaps during the game and showed out. 
uh, Travis Shaw, for example, is a name that comes to mind. He had several good um, plays on the defensive line, and I thought the interior of the defensive line, and y'all talked about this earlier in the week, that where they needed to, to really show some progress was on the interior of the, of the defensive line, and I think they got that play uh, yesterday. So uh, the uh, the way the seeing yes, and somebody mentions in chat, Bingley Jones came in and got like 17 snaps. I mean, it wasn't just bench clearing snaps that he got. He got some uh, some uh, opportunity to make play some meaningful snaps in the game. And we've been talking about Bingley Jones forever, and and at now least ten, at least 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and when they brought him in as a freshman, I remember thinking at the time, along with some other people, hey, you know, he's going to be awesome, like, you know, year one, or, you know, he's really going to be a force. And here we are several years down the road, and he's looking good. So, uh, and, and they played a lot of guys in the, in the secondary. I mean, meaningful snaps. Uh, there had to be like seven guys with, over 20 snaps each that played in the secondary um, yesterday. So uh, the ability for those guys, I mean, to have limit Syracuse to the number of snaps that they got, and they did limit them that way because they were getting off the field. You look at uh, Pittsburgh's drives in the first half, seven plays, three plays, four plays, five plays. You look at North Carolina's drives in the first half, 14 plays, 17 plays. I mean, they were just keeping the ball away from Syracuse's offense altogether. Um, so you can't score if you don't have the ball. And they didn't let Syracuse have the ball very much in the first half, especially. Yeah, if you look at the drive charts, um, one looks significantly different than the other. <laughs> when you're looking at the team, I mean, I – like I said off the top, I don't remember a Carolina team dominating a good team as well as they did. I could go way back, um, probably to when they went into Death Valley and whipped Clemson with Julius Peppers, uh, maybe the first Clemson game, the 45 nothing Clemson game in that same time frame. But, Jason, talk a little bit about the defensive line, what you saw there. Um, Boat mentioned Travis Shaw. He made some plays. Kevin Hester was out, um, so you, other guys have to step up. But just – what did you see there? Because I thought it was important going into the game. You mentioned those A and B um, rush lanes for Schrader that were not there. And I think a big part of that is those guys. But just what did you see with your expert eyes? Um, well, one is that I thought uh, Syracuse had some trouble getting getting guys free in the back end. There were a lot of times where Schrader was dropping back and, and option one just wasn't open. And option two often wasn't open. And that's when, you know, he's a, he's typically a one-two run kind of guy. And there was a lot of one, oh, two, oh, tuck it, and there's nothing. And that's that's exactly what you want to force for him. Uh, they did, like I said, they brought five more in this game than they had uh, at different points. They did, much to my chagrin on a couple occasions, have a spy in for him. A uh, couple of them worked. I mean... The results were fine. To me, I'm I'm still a you know process matters more than the result. You know, you still don't roll that uh, roll that die that way, but that's okay. Uh, 
I thought the backers in particular, even the even the backup backers had a had a really nice day. Uh, and and did a great job of of making sure that they played under control and handled the the multiple different kind of assignments that they that they were going to have to deal with with a running quarterback well. I mean, he got out for what one big run uh, and other than that they they handled that part of the part of their business. So I mean it, it's it's not not too complicated. They just played sound football on that side. And I do think having the corners who could who could lock down those wide receivers. And we, we said coming in, look, they don't have a bunch of game breakers outside. They're going to try to get the ball to the slot receiver, to the tight end, to the backs and all of that. And it they just those guys were not open. And and give another helmet sticker to Huzzy for that interception. I mean, when you've got a guy that's doing that on that kind of route in the slot. You know that that's that's real sticky coverage, and the guy's got phenomenal hands to make that kind of catch. It just changes games when you have that when you have the ability to do that. So I, I think the back end has really also, again, it, it helps you coordinate when you can trust your back end to cover, and your defensive line is is going to play properly in their rush lanes and and take care of business. Miles Murphy flashed really for the first time this year. We got to see him get a you know get in the backfield a little bit. They were, um, I, I just thought they were active across the board. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Huzzy and Buck. This is a guy we've talked about since day one he arrived on campus. I, I remember talking to him in January when they introduced the transfers, and he just had that calm and confident way about him then. That interception was just top shelf. Uh, I mean, that is, to Jason's point, you got a guy that can do that. That one player singularly changes the defense when you do that. It was a it was a group effort back there, just sort of pick out, you know, some other guys we haven't mentioned, but maybe to talk about, or you can talk about Huzzy or, or anybody you want to here. I just think the defense, best defensive performance we've seen in a while. Yeah, and uh, going back to what we were talking about, the the mesh between uh, scheme and execution, all of that. Uh, you know, one of the guys who's been a pleasure to to just see on the sideline and participating in that way, Amari Campbell, all year, very excitable guy, uh, just gets into it, and uh, to see him in the right place at the right time to pick off a ball late in the game. I mean that that just bodes well. I mean it, it's a good moment for Campbell. Um, great to see a reserve coming in and playing in that role. So that's, that's a guy that, uh, you know, deserves a little bit of a mention, but it was just, you know, the, the, we tend to think about defenses in different units, the defensive line, the, the linebackers, the secondary, all of that, but to see them work off each other and with each other to the degree they did yesterday, that's, they're not working as individual units. They're working as a team. And that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway from all of that is the, the, you talked about it being a group effort. It was exactly that. And, and they were playing with each other and off each other, um, the whole game, which was a pleasure to see Greg Barnes must be, um, spinning in his bed this morning, (laughs) uh, the way he loves defense. 
he indeed does. Uh, shout out to Greg Barnes and be remiss in saying if you did not read Greg Barnes's column on all the drama from the last seven or eight weeks um, and beyond that on the Tez Walker matter, um, go check it out at Inside Carolina. Jason, let's talk safeties. Somebody in the chat said Don Chapman needs some love. I agree. We've banged the safeties all year as, as being the weak link back there. Um, what did you see for them? I saw Biggers making some plays, Chapman. That was – I mean, the play he made on Schrader, where Schrader spun, threw it out of bounds. I mean, that was like, this is a good quarterback. And this quarterback looks terrible out there. Just speak to the safety play there. Yeah, and and for for clarification, we haven't been saying the safety is the weak link. We've been saying it's the weaker link. Uh, they, they've, not, they've not played badly this year. It's just that teams that are starting to realize that they don't really want to go after Huzzy and, and – Marcus Allen and so on, you start to find guys that you feel a little better going against. So you start to try to target those safeties, maybe power echoes in the, in the passing game, different things like that. And when those guys hold up, when teams start to try to come after them, when they, when they don't feel comfortable going after your corners, then that that's when, that's when things really look good. And again, you know, Don Chapman played well. I thought Biggers played well. I mean, one of the one of the plays that was that to me signaled the uh, the way this day was going to go was on that. I think it was the first drive. They 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 tossed it out. It was a uh, little like flat route or whatever to the to the to the running back, and Biggers came up and made a just a really solid sure tackle like at or around you know at or just behind the line of scrimmage, and. You know, it's one of those like, okay, they're really running to the football well, and they're seeing what Syracuse is doing really well here, and that that feel persisted through the rest of the game. I mean, they just uh, the other thing is that the the, de- the the safeties in this defense that it's a modern defense. They're responsible to to handle a lot of the checks and making sure that guys are where they're supposed to be, and you know, the communication on the back end I thought was pretty good. I th- I, I think the that's one of the hidden things this season that's been a significant difference between this year's defense and last year's is I think the corners and the safeties are on the same page a lot more than they were last year. I think the communication in the back end has been better. And I think the, I think they've been handling again, it's been more cohesive and you could see that you could see again, the safeties handling their business when, when they were asked to yesterday and coming up in, in run support, doing that, doing that job. You saw a couple of nice uh, hits against wide receivers when they came over, the, came over the middle a couple of times. It's just a lot of different things and, uh, and cleaning up on, on Schrader a couple of times. So again, I, I just thought the whole defense played, played well and, and communicated well and coordinated was coordinated well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that Biggers play. It was 10-51 of the first quarter. Uh, they swing and pass out there to the right. I think Allen for them, LeQuint Adam, Allen, and Biggers comes up and gets him for a one-yard loss. Kind of reminded me of the play that, that South Carolina ran out of the gate early, and Huzzy came up and made that play, sort of a tone-setter defense, we're here type moment. And, and you're right, those guys, and I want to re-emphasize your clarification. We said the weaker link of the back end, just because Huzzy in that corner room was so solid. 
uh, but certainly no weak link for North Carolina, especially lately. But final thoughts on the defense before I flip the page to the offensive side where we certainly have a lot to talk about there as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, coach coaches talk about this a, a lot and um, there's usually some coach speak involved, but I do think this is the kind of game you can build off of. It's it's not – it doesn't have the the taste, feel, or smell of a one-off defensive stand. Uh, it it seems like there are things that they can replicate uh, in future games that they were doing yesterday. Um, and so I think that's if, – if it's – we're at a place, really, where they are playing complementary football, where one side is complementing the other, we're in a different place. North Carolina's in a different place than they have been, and, and that's my takeaway from it all. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I've noticed, um, I haven't seen too much of the hands up, like what are we doing on the back end stuff all year. And we saw that <laughs> multiple times a game last year, Jason. Not the kind of I mean, communication you want to see. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how many times did we see that at App State last year where guys are throwing their hands up like, what are we doing? And, and or what is, that's your job or whatever. The communication all. Year two in the system under Gene Chiswick. And everybody talked about patience. Year two would be better. Um, we're seeing it across the country at Oklahoma. Their defense is significantly better after year two. Um, so you've got – they've had the patience to work with these guys, and it's paid off. Syracuse just completely shut down. Take a second and talk about Johnny T-shirt, as quick, always. Quick one, quick one before oh, yeah. we go to the ad read. How many tackles did North Carolina miss in this game? Whew. It didn't look like many. That's the execution part I was talking about. I don't know what the number is, but. I'll give you an over-under. Over-under six. I'd say under. I think one of them was on the long shot. Since you're bringing it up, I'm going with the under, too. It's a push. It's a six. (laughs) Okay. They missed six tackles tackles in this game. Their their missed tackle rate on the game. Let's see. The overall missed tackle uh, doesn't give it. The overall missed tackle rate, They let's see, they had um, 38 tackles on the game and six missed tackles. That's that's pretty that's pretty solid. Yep. So, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at a team that that took care of business in the open field and got guys on the ground. And when you get guys on the ground, you get them on the sideline. And like you said, the complimentary football part, you you know, you get teams to the sideline quickly and you get the ball back for Drake May. How many uh, big plays does Syracuse have? Quote, unquote, big plays according to stat broadcast. Three, right? Looking? Three. One 34-yard pass, the 18-yard scramble, and a 14-yard run. Yeah. Carolina's defense trending in the correct direction um, and looking better. Now, Miami comes in. and We've talked about Miami's ability to um, snatch defeat out of the jaws <laughs> of victory. But Miami's offense will certainly be another challenge. Plenty to talk about this week. I'm going to talk about Johnny T-shirt right now. Jason, do not stop me, but give me the shout-out. There it is. Woo! Johnny T-shirt got all your needs taken care of. Uh, That Drake May NIL stuff, probably pretty good. We'll talk about Drake on the backside. But if you need a jersey, he's probably one. Tez Walker, any of those guys step up. But Drake was fantastic. Johnny T-shirt's got all those things covered. And you know what? You get the 10% off. Is there anybody in the chat? Shout out to the 620 people in the chat. 
you guys have stepped up significantly. But I want you to answer this question. Anybody in the chat not a member of Inside Carolina Premium Message Boards, if you're not, join up. You get all the content that everybody offers from basketball to football to Jason's Breakdowns, but you also get 10% off at Johnny T-Shirt. Shop locally on Franklin Street. Shop online if you need to do that. Take care of them. National guys will pay the bills. It's the day after. Orange Crushed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I'm Tommy Ashley, Buck Sanders, of course, Jason Staples. The day after, you know, Drake May. This Let's do a Drake May portion of the program, Jason. <laughs> I always come to you to start it, and then Buck will historicalize it, if that's a word. <laughs> I mean, Drake it's just – It's not one I've used before, but, yeah, you know. Maybe, maybe we can work that in and say, yeah. you know, maybe Caesar said that or something. Yeah. And nobody will be able to prove it wrong. But Drake, 33 for 47 – 47 is a lot of balls thrown, but 442, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I think the uh, – and I'll use another quote. I think Drake's demise was greatly exaggerated by the ones <laughs> by the ones that just go based on purely stats, Jason. What did you see from the quarterback? Well, I mean, what I saw was a fully weaponized and operational North Carolina offense. And Drake may starting to enjoy the ability to just say fire when ready. <laughs> I mean, there were multiple times where the, you just had wide receivers just wide donkey open, like gazelles over the running of the field in particular. It was like gazelles running through the African plains. I mean, just galloping out there, like take your pick. Yeah, there's and, and there, there's I mean, one. there was a one play where he, he could have thrown to Tez for a touchdown, potentially, if he puts it on the mark. Could have thrown to McCollum if he puts it exactly on the mark. Also a touchdown. I mean, guys just running wide open behind guys. And, you know, that one he went to McCollum and wound up down on, what, the two-yard line or whatever. But he just he, – he had a lot of options – and took advantage of that and spread the ball around. What, 11 guys, I think it was, caught passes? Yes, 11. 10 and, in the first half alone. Nuts. Yeah, I mean, that that tells you kind of where they are in terms of that. And and Andre Green didn't even play. That You know, if he'd have played, I mean, uh, shoot, if I'd have played, I'd have caught a pass. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, he'd have had mean, to hit me right in the chest and stuck it or wedged it in my face mask. But, yeah, I probably could have caught one, too. Yeah, I might not be able to get open anymore, but I can still catch it. But uh but you know, again in that situation with those with the gravity of the other receivers in the offense, I'd have been open. They certainly wouldn't have covered my 41-year-old uh tail. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's the bottom the bottom line for me is that he looked much more comfortable. There are a couple times there's one time in particular coming out of the end zone where Tez actually ran the wrong route and you could see a little bit of of rust between the two of them 
it was one where where if the corner's playing over the top, Tez has to sit it down. Uh, and you know, it's a vertical route and it's calling for a, for a go route. But if the corner plays way off, then you just sit it. And Drake was ready to hit him at the at the sticks at about ten yards, and he just didn't sit it. And you could see Drake like, "Oh shoot!" <laughs> but but he didn't panic. That's right. He pulled it and then found a way to get back to the line of scrimmage because there's nobody open on the other side of the field. Found a way to get back to the line of scrimmage, and that was that. But you could see right there the respect that they had for Tez's wheels. The guy was playing like sixteen yards off the ball, and. The other thing that I noticed in this game is how quickly Drake got the ball out of his hands. And I haven't uh, haven't gotten it pulled up yet. I was actually in, in the process of it while you were in the ad read uh, about the favorite uh, our our favorite apparel company that you know provides our provides the merchandise for you know good young men like Walker and Texas Ranger. Uh, and he. Uh, and but I'm going to take a look at what, how how long it took him to get the ball out of his hands because my impression was in this one he did a a really good job of just getting the ball out. Uh, and there were a couple of cases I'm, I'm thinking especially of a third and seven or so I think early in the third or late in the I think it was early in the third uh, where it's third and seven and they dropped a bunch of guys and 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 there was a little bit of early pressure and he just casually flips the ball to the, to the back over the middle as his, as his um, just the back over the ball at about five yards as his outlet and the back basically falls forward for, th- for another three yards first down and the casualness of just managing to go through his progressions and say, okay, they're in this look with, you know, check there. Nope. Check down, bam, ball out on target. Easy first down. Check here. Okay, he's wide open. Flick it to him. Put it on the on the on the body. All right, that's another first down. All right. Well, oh, they took that away. Took that away. Check down eight yards. You know, it was one of those just very routine days. And when you have a quarterback with Drake May's skill level, who manages the game that well, it's gonna. It, it just starts to look really, really pretty. And that's what we saw. Buck, uh, Jason, look up those stats. I want to hear those numbers. But Buck, your take on the performance? I mean, eleven different receivers, thirty-three completions, the three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, you know, Tez Walker's out there making ridiculous catches on the sidelines. Uh, Nate McCullum continues to be just a monster out, out there. I mean, to Jason's point, fully weaponized and able and ready to go offense for North Carolina. I mean, it certainly was a sight to see. A, a couple of things stuck out uh, stuck out to me, and um, one of them is uh, the game that Chip Lindsey called. Um, I thought he called a very good game yesterday, and you could just you just again, I encourage people to look at the drive charts for the two teams. Yeah. Ninety four yard drive, ninety five yard drive, several in the seventies. It methodically taking the ball downfield to where you begin to make the defense believe it's inevitable that you're going to score. You know, there's just an air of in- inevitability that that happens when you're marching the ball that way. Um, and 
here's a if you have if you have some, some free time and you just want to entertain yourself a little bit you should look at the situational stats for drake may and cfb stats on third down on third down he, he's one of one from third down with one to three to go 12 of 11 with four to six to go five of six uh with seven to nine to go and uh, 11 of 15 on third down with 10 plus to go. I mean, it's just phenomenal what he does. And when the pressure is on, on third down is when he performs the best. Um, with Drake may pressure doesn't bust pipes. It makes diamonds. I mean, that's just how it goes. Uh, so chip Lindsay, I think is doing a good job with Drake. Um, and just as far as teaching him the joy of staying ahead of the chains and not having to drop, you know, huge bombs all the time. Yeah. And the other thing that we have talked about here is, uh, the gravitational impact of Tess Walker on the entire offense. Um, I think it's possible to overplay that card or, or, or read too much into it, but it looks to me like when Tez is on the field, when he was on the field yesterday, that that opened up everything for everybody. Um, and then you've got guys that are out there making plays. Uh, uh, Kobe Pessoa's catch was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> just ridiculous. Uh, and uh, Nate uh, McCollum called everything thrown his way. Um he had 135 yards and was just like an afterthought in the offense, basically. Um, and uh, the tight ends, they delivered with over 100 yards and two touchdowns yesterday. We kind of tend to forget stuff like that, that two of the touchdowns that they scored, one was a little flip to Copenhaver, and the other one was a great throw to Nesbitt um, in the end zone. So the – the offense in terms of its receivers and him throwing the ball is awesome, but also the impact on the running game. Syracuse has been good against the run, uh, this year. I don't, I don't think they let, uh, Clemson. I think maybe they let them have three and a half yards of carry or 3.2 yards per carry, something like that. Uh, Hampton's getting five and that's because with Tez on the field and with the other elements they have, well, let's not forget the other elements, but with all those elements, they just can't load the box. You know, that's, that's not an option for them is to keep the, the box loaded up against the run. So you've opened up the running game. You have, uh, you know, created a gravitational field that, uh, with the addition of Tez, that opens up everything else. So, uh, North Carolina's offense, Syracuse could not defend them at all yesterday. It was just it was just futile. But I think even against a good defense, and they're going to run into better defenses than Syracuse's. Um, they're going to run into a better defense next weekend than Syracuse had. But I, I just don't see this North Carolina offense shutting down like it did after they got to nine and one last year 
where they, they just had a series of games. They couldn't get out of the twenties. Now I think, you know, 31 to 41, that's their wheelhouse. That's where they're going to be against virtually everybody. And if the defense holds up the way they did yesterday, it's going to be a fun season. One, one other thing I should point out though, is that Drake will be the first to tell you he, he missed four or five throws that he normally makes just routinely. I mean, he, he mentioned it in the post game. He's like, you know, they asked, you know, what, what could you do better? He said, well, I mean, I dirted Tez on, on the one on, on a, on a hitch route. You know, he, there are a couple, couple balls where, like he said, he, he put Tez into the dirt on, on one. Uh, he skipped another, he missed, there was an over deep over route where there was a little bit of pressure. And normally you see Drake make that throw routinely and, and Tez scores easily. So there were, there were a few that, and even the, the, the pace or catch was behind him, right? That was the, the reason that had to be a spectacular catch is that, that Drake was a little off on, on his accuracy there. So, I mean, that was not a plus Drake, Drake may that's the crazy thing. That was, that was, you know, routine B plus Drake may, but the fact that that's so routine is what's so impressive. Yeah, I mean, he, he completes 70% of his passes, and I think he drops his season percentage a little bit after going 70% against him. You mentioned the play to Tez. The play, the, the building would have exploded um, had he completed that one to Tez going into the corner over there, the Carolina side. Uh, Jason, talk about the Tez effect. Buck mentioned the gravitational pull. When Tez came out there, Syracuse immediately put somebody over the top of him and backed off, at least – from my naked eye at the moment is what it felt like. What did you see um, with your eyes that North Carolina offense? I mean, McCollum's a stud out the gate. Kobe Pacer, we sort of forgot about him for a couple games when he had to be pushed out and out of the slot. Huge. And not only the catch he made, he turned on the Jets and left everybody. We've mentioned the tight ends. Copenhaver obviously getting more healthy. Bryson Nesbitt becoming the guy we thought he could be. Um you know, a lot of people are in the chat are asking about Baron Kiernan's run. I want to talk about that in in a minute. But Jason, Tez effect on the offense as a whole, rushing game, passing game, all around. Well, first of all, I, w- I want to I want to do a mea culpa here, uh, or a you know an admission that you know I said in the in the game plan that I would have probably picked Syracuse to win this game if Tez had not played. And I I, I want to be clear. If Tez had not played in this game, Carolina still wins this game going away. You know, what we saw offensively from Carolina in this game and the dominance over that Syracuse defense, it was not due to Tez being out there. Him being out there helps. And it helps by allowing other guys to sort of slot into their natural roles within the offense. And, you know, the gravity helps. I mean, I mentioned, you know, there are a couple of cases where you could see the respect. I mean, they knew who he was. It's like, look, you're gonna you're gonna play, you know, 14 yards off the ball on this one, or they're, they're, you know, safety help, these sorts of things. Uh, but we only we only really saw just a little bit of the impact that he's gonna eventually have. Uh, the biggest thing is that guys like JJ Jones, Pesor, and McCollum did work. I mean, remember when, when when was the first play? What was the first play that that Tez played? I mean, it was. It was almost. It was toward the end of the first quarter, right? I mean, close to the end. If it wasn't the first, the the beginning of the second. Yeah, it was deep into it because they had such the huge drives early. Um, 
but yeah, he did not start, which I thought he would start. Um, yeah, I did too. But uh, but you could see why he didn't in the you know in a couple of the little misreads and things on on routes where you know him not being completely in the in in the uh, in the mix of things the last couple of weeks is you know you, you just they're going to have to get that adjusted. But once they got uh, got comfortable, then he 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 got in there. But the fact is, I mean, Drake May was. 20 of 29 for 246 yards and two scores in the first quarter. Right. That's, that's stupid. And I'm pretty sure that, that, that 246 yards, at least 230 of it, or, you know, 220 of it was without Tez on the field. So it just got easier after that. But, you know, by the way, I took a look, his time to throw in that first quarter was 2.58 seconds on average. And I've been saying, like, get him into the, you know, 2.7, 2.6 range as the average, and now you're cooking. Well, he got below that. Just hitting the back, hitching and getting the ball out, and very little, very little waiting, very little hesitation, finding those underneath options. And then seeing when it's time to scramble, too. So how did, how did how did Willie Lampkins play affect that offensive line? Do you think? Well, I, I I thought it was significant because they didn't have a whole lot of leakage in, inside. And you look at the difference last week against Pitt; he was under pressure a lot, mm-hmm. right? So average time to uh, so time to pressure allowed against Syracuse was two point five two seconds. Against Pitt uh, was. Up 2.67. So Pitt actually, so Syracuse actually got more pressure more quickly this week, even though the, the, the eye test maybe to- shows a little bit different than what, than what uh, Pitt did last week. It's just that Carolina was, was so much more dominant on the back end against Syracuse's coverage that it didn't matter. So I, I, you know, it appeared to me that there was less internal leakage. I need to go back and take a look at that because, uh, you know, that number gives me a little bit of pause about maybe my, maybe what my lion eyes saw. But I did feel like there, there was less inside leakage and what pressure there was oftentimes came from a blitz or someone sort of on the outside uh, coming in. So I'll, I'll take a look at that. But I, I did think it helped stabilize things on the interior. Buck, let's talk about the running game. I mean, Amarion Hampton continues to do his things. One of my favorite plays in that is he broke through the line or whatever, or it may have been on the catch, actually. But anyway, he he, he wanted to set an example on one of those safeties that came up, and he just plowed him. I mean, that's what he does. But ju- just talk about the the run game. I know that Caleb Hood got some run. British got a little bit of run. But Amarion continues to put his name at the top of the list week in and week out. Yeah, and the, the thing about uh, Amarian and his numbers from yesterday, if you're just looking at comparing that, you know, a lot of times when players get, you know, 7,500 yards, there'll be one or two big plays in there that kind of pad the stats. I think his longest run was 17 yards yesterday. And, and so what they were doing was getting a good solid eight or nine yards on first down, running the ball. 
which if you can do that, if you can bring up, you know, second and two or second and three on a regular basis, you're going to keep moving those chains. You're going to get down the field. I think they converted 10 of 19 third downs yesterday, which is pretty good. Um, and they only allowed four of 11 from Syracuse. So uh, that ability to set up second and short, third and short on first down, and, and Mac Brown has been preaching this every press conference he's had in forever. Uh, which is why aren't we doing better on third down? Well, because we're not doing very well on first down. Um, so I, I think the way they used Hampton to set up everything else and on a lot of the plays and also British and Caleb hood came in and ran some, uh, pretty well for him at times, uh, using those guys to set up, um, the, um, what's coming next, which is. You got to cover the entire field on second and three, second and two, third and two. Um, that's hard to do. And and that's how you end up with 622 yards of offense. Jason, I want to come back to you, but I want to take a second to talk about one of our new uh, sponsors at Inside Carolina. And I've talked about them before. It's Congruity. Uh, they are the go-to spot for Tar Heel business owners for your payroll, your HR, your employee benefit needs. This is a North Carolina-based company. You know, guys, I'm big on local and shopping local. Um, they're a national brand, but they're North Carolina-based. And Darren and Matt and their team take a personalized approach straight from the Tar Heel State. Empowering your small business, your mid-sized business. It grows your business while you uh, you know, work on the growth aspect. They take care of your people, top-of-the-line technology, customer service. They transform your organization. And here's what they're doing for Inside Carolina folks. You go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels, and they will uh, provide you a form, and you can fill it out and get a free assessment of everything you need for Inside Carolina listeners and viewers. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of congruity. Congruityhr front slash congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Get your free assessment and just – like North Carolina's offense on Saturday, takes your business to the next level. Check them out. A great sponsor of this show. Their logo's on the screen. You find them on there, and they handle everything you need. I say that because I need to go to Jason Staples for everything we need here. And we could spit all day on, on this uh, podcast, and we're going to go a little bit further. But I want to talk about one play. And if folks haven't watched uh, – Dino Baber's post game. I would suggest do it. If you guys hadn't watched it, I, I would suggest going to do it. They asked him repeatedly, Jason, about the block punt and then the first down, which Ben Kiernan got absolutely hammered on the sidelines. I think Lee Pace tweeted out a picture of his face mask was bent and all that. I personally didn't think he got the first down. He at didn't. The, at the moment, and I've seen the replay, Baber's um, was right down the line. But just talk about that play because I would wager that you know, a good 90% of football fans watching has has never seen that before, but also didn't know that you could even do that. What have you seen from North Carolina's punt covers that were punt protections a little bit concerning? It's two weeks in a row now. Well, they're, they're using a standard shield 
protection with with two guys uh, in the shield. A lot of a lot of teams will do a three man shield, uh, but it's gotten more en vogue to uh, to use a two man shield uh, because it allows you to get one more one more guy in coverage faster. And essentially, what everybody does is you you snap the ball to your punter offline, right? And uh, and then that allows you to sort of ignore the backside rusher that you might have to worry about, so you can get get one more guy upfield faster. It has to do with the difference between college and pro uh, rules in terms of who can get upfield and who can do what in terms of formationally on a on a punt. Uh, punt scheme which is why you see it so different in in college and in high school uh but in that kind of protection scheme the guys on the shield have to be very aggressive and you have to make sure that you know where the where the uh the punt the 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 point of punt is going to be where's the punt going to come from and you have to protect that spot and the last couple of weeks, Carolina has not been exactly on the right spot to be able to protect that. There've been the, the the last two punt blocks, the one by Pitt and this one, are really similar in terms of the postmortem. Uh, you know, really similar plays where essentially the shield guy the, the, the is picking up a, a rusher from the outside, and that's by design. And his job is just to make sure that he meets that guy and keeps him off of where that punt point of release is going to be. And I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, I need to take a closer look at this one. And honestly, I might need to talk to somebody in the program to be sure exactly of how they, where they want this. It's possible that Kiernan is just slightly off his mark on his steps there. Uh, And with that kind of punt, it's going to be low anyway. I mean, it's a kind of a low, low launch which is why you have to be real aggressive with that shield. But my impression is that the shield also needs to do a better job of meeting that aggressively and turning that guy out away from the, uh, from the launch point. So just a few things need to be cleaned up on that to make sure that everything is coordinated correctly uh, between where the punter is going to be punting and how, how you're protecting that. So they have to clean that up. But yeah, when a when a punt is blocked, as long as it stays behind the line of scrimmage, it's a live ball to both teams. The moment a punt moves past the line of scrimmage, it's it's a dead ball if the offense if the punting team touches it. So you know, once it once a punt crosses the line of scrimmage, the ball has changed possession. That's the rule, right? If it's still on the on the punting team's side of the line of scrimmage, it's treated like a fumble. So, you know, you're just kicking it around and, you know, you pick that fumble up and go. And Kiernan made a heads up play and made an athletic play. Now, he did not get the first down. <laughs> he, he did not cross that line. I thought he was almost a full yard short. But, uh, you know, he, he kind of earned it. And that was a play where I don't believe that anybody should be ejected for, for targeting aside from, I think there should be a like a yellow card, red card type uh, or, or, you know, flagrant one, flagrant two kind of approach in in college sports where unless you are actively targeting a guy you know with clear intent where you you know you got a guy over the over the middle or something who's a helpless player and you see the safety launch into his helmet you know helmet to helmet that sort of thing okay fine that's a flagrant to you know you're ejected for that but you know i don't generally think that you know hard hits to the head or neck area should just be ejected but 
if we're talking about hard hits to that neck area and launching into it, that was, that was pretty close to textbook there. He's not a helpless player by any means, but uh, there was definitely uh you know, crown of the helmet to the, um, to the, to the face mask there. And, and he took a real shot. So I can, I can promise you he's going to be a little sore today. Yeah. I mean, you could like take his face mask and, you know how they match dental records and criminal stuff. You know, you, you could put this helmet. Face. <laughs> yeah, it's like match that helmet up to that face mask. Buck, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about because I think it's important. North Carolina played a relatively clean football game. Did have a fumble there um, late, but if I'm looking at the correct stats, one penalty. It was a personal foul on former Jason Staples, Florida State, Seminole Amari Gaynor. One penalty for North Carolina. Four, only four for Syracuse um, accepted penalties. I think that um, that's a big missed aspect of this North Carolina team is that the they're playing with discipline and, you know, the rush lanes and all that kind of stuff, but they're playing with discipline across the board. Um, it bodes well, especially with a game like Miami coming up next weekend where discipline could be optional at times. Um for the other team, but your thoughts here before we start to wrap this one up and get out of here in front of the 650 in the live chat. I thought that, uh, going into the game, uh, penalties would work out in North Carolina's favor because Syracuse is, was actually near the bottom of the ACC in terms of how many penalties per game they were, uh, committing. Um, they were 12th or 13th in the conference in terms of the number of penalties they were um, committing each and every week. And North Carolina has been, to its credit, um, much better in terms of penalties. And you'll, you'll notice on that one penalty that they have, no pre-snap penalties. And remember the days when illegal procedure uh, false start, all of that was like constant plague on North Carolina's offense. They, they've pretty much somehow uh, eliminated, uh, that issue, which goes a long way to moving that ball down the field. Again, moving the chains is, uh, is the point of uh, you, the point is to score, but to get there, you got to move the chains and by not getting that five yard penalty on first down and all of a sudden it's first and 15 or then it's second and 10 after uh, a five yard penalty on second and five, those things allow you to win football games, uh, is staying ahead of the chains and, and staying out of, uh, you know, third and California situations. Um, so yeah, the, the penalties were a part of the story. Uh, yesterday again, and uh, hopefully it'll stay that way the rest of the year. Yeah, I just think it's important, and I'm um, full disclosure inside baseball. I'm slacking Jason a private message to check out one of those chat <laughs> questions. Um, anyway, Jason, sort of wrap us up here. A lot to like for North Carolina in the forty to seven win. A, a big ball game coming up in Keenan Stadium. You know, I, I thought the Bowls lot um, activity was a little. Um, lesser than maybe uh, the day uh, lended itself. It was absolutely perfect weather. So 7.30 kick for Miami should have the Bowls lot hopping. 
Miami coming off a, I don't even know what you want to call it, um, a Cristobal egg, and uh, you know against Georgia Tech, but it's still a gigantic game. This team, North Carolina, has a lot to build on. Mac always talks about it's easier to improve after a win. I mean, when you look at that offense yesterday and that defense yesterday, what's left to improve on going into this week? Obviously, that's a rhetorical question, but they looked really good against a good Syracuse team. Heading into the week, what are you looking at? What would you like to see from Carolina as Miami comes to town next Saturday? Biggest thing for me is they need to handle business up front. Miami is a team that that is dictated, and this is you know Cristobal's mo. He was a former offensive lineman, and he believes in winning from the line of scrimmage out. He wants to create a bully down there. And they've got a big offensive line that that was able to bully teams those first four weeks. And then they weren't able to bully Georgia Tech last night. But North Carolina doesn't have a whole lot of room to to really uh, talk about losing to a Georgia Tech team when you're undefeated uh, or, or, or playing good football. Because last year, the same thing happened to Carolina at home. So, you know, you can't, that Georgia Tech team can bite you. Uh, but they, they had trouble pushing Georgia Tech around yesterday. Carolina needs to do the same thing. And, and I, thought, I thought Georgia Tech gave a nice blueprint to giving some, some of what Miami does in terms of the, um, of the running game. I thought, I thought Georgia Tech gave a nice blueprint defensively to what Carolina can do, you know, causing some trouble with some, some really active play up front and uh you know they did a lot of a lot of three man type a, little, a lot of odd front stuff moving some guys around up front and uh and and causing some havoc there and they did a great job of getting Miami on the ground Miami had very few big plays uh one thing that I and I'll talk more about this come game plan podcast but I think uh I think one thing that is really going to be interesting in this one is Elijah Huzzy as a slot corner is going to be super valuable in this game because Miami's most important playmaker on the offensive side as a target is Restrepo, who's a Xavier Restrepo, who is a, a slot receiver. And, you know, if you're North Carolina, you feel like you can line up Huzzy on him and take him away and maybe focus a little bit more on stopping that Miami run. That and pass protection are the two things that I think determine this game. And not to give away the game plan, but I think that's really it. You know, you, if you hold up on the on the line of scrimmage on both sides, and you're able to let Huzzy take away their best option as a wide receiver, you, you got you got a really good chance of winning this game because at that point you're allowing Drake May and those those skill position players to cook. Uh, but it, it, this is going to be a, a battle. I mean, that's a, a wounded team, and they're not going to want to come out and, and lose two in a row that way. And they're, they, they've played physical football up front all season. Yeah. Tyler Van Dyke, three interceptions yesterday against Georgia Tech. That's that's big news. Restrepo, to your point, Jason, 12 for 123 um, on 13 targets. Uh, the running game, Chaney Jr. is their leading rusher against Georgia Tech. Buck, close us out here. Final thoughts. Carolina gets a big win, but there's plenty more left on the table. Absolutely, and and what's left on the table is uh, that I'm curious about, and uh, maybe I won't get the last word here because I'm curious as to what Jason thinks on this subject. 
which is, uh, you know, he spoke about them being a wounded animal, but I'm curious how this loss to Georgia tech is going to affect them because it affects people in different ways. And like last year when North Carolina was nine and one, who was the first team that they lost to, to start that, um, slow descent into nothingness, uh, there at the end of the year, Georgia tech. And so now it's not like, uh, Miami just lost to FSU in a one point wide left situation or something. They lost to Georgia tech and they did it in a stupid way. Um, but they've got to have that in their minds. Now, look, uh, we, we may not be quite as good as we thought we were. And Miami's always been a team, a program <laughs> that, uh, has depended upon momentum. You know, they're a front running team, they're a momentum team and, and they're all of that. And now they've just stubbed their big toe really badly against a really bad Georgia tech team. It was blown out by blowing bowling green a week ago. Um, they just didn't lose to, you know, to 86 bears or 85 bears. They lost to Georgia tech who actually doesn't have a defense to speak of. Um, so, you know, I, I'm real curious as to what their, uh, psyche is really going to be like when they have to come up to Keenan stadium and, and play a North Carolina team that just curb stomp Syracuse, um, so I'm just curious about that. And, and Jason, I, I really am interested in your opinion on how that works. Wounded animal put, or wounded well, psyche. Well, I mean, let's the, not, let's the, don't the get, thing we, is, we don't, let's not make ahead, a bulletin ahead, board here. No, don't make a bulletin board, Jason. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is, that's the kind of loss that Tommy, you, you pointed, you, you pointed to the, uh, to the lineman on the, on the bench saying, you know, what were we doing? What were we doing running the running the ball there? That right there, that kind of loss is how you lose a team. Right? Because every single player in that locker room knows that our coach just made a stupid call, a stupid decision to lose us a game that we should have won. Every player knows that that's on the coach and on the coaching staff. You got, you know, as a, as a coach and as a, as a coaching staff, one of the, you know, this is a, this is sort of a, there's a almost unstated covenant with your players of like, look, I'm going to do everything I can to put you in the best position possible. And I'm not going to screw you. I'm not going to leave you out to dry. You know, we're in this together and you know, you play hard for me and I'm going to do the best I can to put you in good positions. When stuff like that happens, whew, it, it really impacts your trust in like, do these guys know what they're doing at all? Right? So the, there is a real question of whether or not, of, of how Miami's going to react to this and respond to this. Especially since, you know, these guys are not, you know, they're not living in, 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 uh, they're not living in a bubble. They're not living cut off, you know, uh, uh, off the grid. They're all seeing social media. They're all seeing all this and people pointing out like, man, crystal ball did this before. 
man, these guys, you know, they're terrible game managers. And now you're seeing the Miami fans, you know, fire Cristobal and all this stuff, you know, as, as that goes. I mean, imagine being a Miami fan. I mean, obviously none of them are at the game. Most of them probably didn't watch the game. And then they wake up this morning and now they're all upset because the team that they, you know, that they follow on the internet lost in such a, you know, an embarrassing way. Well, now those players are going to get to see all of that. And this is where as a, as a coaching staff, you have to find a way to get your players to buy back in. Cause you, you've got some wounded feelings. You got some hurt feelings right now and some distrust that's built in. You got to earn that trust back. How well they do that is a hard thing. I mean, you think about Florida state right now, a couple of years ago, they had a, a, the Jacksonville state loss where they mismanaged the end of that game. And it was nowhere near this. And they had to go back and earn their, their players, trust and they did a good job of that you can see that they managed to recover from that but that that took some that took some doing that took some you know owning up to it and and really coming back to the players and and re regaining that trust and you know is crystal ball that guy who does that it does that locker room recover in that way so i, I don't think we can know whether or not that's going to be how miami responds and i think buck you've you hit it on the head, but they've always been front runners. I mean, we've how many times in our previews over the years have we said, well, it's always better to play Miami at the end of the year. <laughs> Why do you want to play Miami at the end of the year? Well, because they always win the, you know, they're the, what now 22, 22 season uh, defending off season championship or uh, 22 year defending off season champions. Uh and, you know, September, they're always riding high up until they finally get beat by somebody. And then, you know, they lose again. And then they and then by the time you get them in early November, they're a shell of themselves. You, you want to play that team later. So, you know, playing them after a loss is not the worst, but we don't know how this team's going to respond. It'll be interesting. One thing that Mac Brown and his coaching staff have done a great job of is getting the trust of the players and the complete buy-in. We've seen that. Um, with the performances on the field. We've seen that um, with the way Tez Walker's situation was handled. We've seen it all the way across. Um, so that'll be an interesting dynamic to talk about, to watch as it breaks down on Saturday at 7.30. Um, it's been the day after podcast. Jason and Buck killed it again. It, it is a shout-out to the 600-plus that have been here the whole time. You guys are awesome to join us on Sunday mornings. Um, we did it last week an hour early. Still had that many people on it. And it's always good to get together with Buck and Jason. Johnny T-Shirt and Garurity, two sponsors of the show. Um, support those guys. Support everybody local, especially Johnny T-Shirt and Garurity. They give you everything you need right there. One-stop shops on both. Uh, Buck, Jason, I'm Tommy Ashley. Uh, a ton to talk about all week. Jason's film breakdowns. Buck's column that will drop here shortly if you're watching this live. Uh, and then, of course, the coverage from Adam and Jeremiah and the complete IC team. Stick around. Season's getting interesting, folks. Carolina is 5-0 with Miami coming to town next week. Thanks, guys.